0: Good morning, Crossway. Welcome to our online Sunday service. Um, It's always a privilege to be able to share uh, God's word with you guys. And today we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 34, talking about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And, you know, this passage is typically connected with Christmas, but I believe that God truly has a very important word for us today. And so I want to approach this. Uh, subject and this passage in three sections, asking three important questions. Uh, The first question is, is the virgin birth possible? Did it really happen? Uh, The second question is, if it did happen, indeed it's true, then what's the significance of it? How is it important to us? And thirdly, if it did happen, and it is significant, how should we respond? What should our response be to the Virgin Birth, all right. And so, the first question that I want to attack is: Did the Virgin Birth actually happen? Is it actually true? You know, uh, CBS News came out uh, with an article where some American researchers did a study. Uh, you know, they found that the Virgin Birth, Virgin Births actually occurred in nature, typically in uh, sharks, or Komodo dragons, pit vipers, and boa constrictors. Uh, so these things happened asexually, and so they wanted to find out if this was actually possible in humans, in actual people. And so for the study, uh, they researched over 7,900 women over a period of 14 years, uh, following their lives through questionnaires and surveys and interviews, and each time asking about their sexual pregnancy issue or histories. And they were also asked about their religion, uh, the knowledge of different birth control methods, and... Out of the 7,900 women, it's interesting that 45 women uh, admitted that they gave birth through the virgin, or claiming even though that they were virgins. You know, when you hear the statistic that 1% of virgin births occurred, uh, what, what, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Uh, for me, you know, obviously, I'm a little doubtful. Uh, I'm skeptical about this being actually true. Uh, Are they lying or they're making something up because they're afraid of being embarrassed or ashamed of having an extramarital affair or a relationship? And we are right to be skeptical. In this article, they do confirm that there are some biases or some misclassifications that might happen. In other words, that these people might not have been virgins after all. But this is the type of doubt that... uh, skeptics or secular scholars or even people like you and I might have when we approach this passage in Luke where we talk about the virgin birth. Even Mary herself was skeptical when, God, when, the, when the angel Gabriel came and told her that she was going to give birth uh, to her son. Now what's interesting is that the author himself, Luke, he does not seem uh, skeptical at all. You know, Luke, uh, what we found out from last week from Pastor Steve, he shares about how Luke himself was a doctor. He carefully studied every detail of all the events that happened in Jesus' life. as documented in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke says, having followed all things closely for some time now, carefully examining every single detail, but when it came to this miracle, something that any doctor would be dumbfounded by, that a miracle such as the virgin birth could occur in nature, Luke doesn't seem to bat an eye. He doesn't even add one single sentence to try to clarify if this was even possible. Only that Mary herself was shocked. You know, Mary's account, when Mary uh, speaks to Gabriel, we see this in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary was genuinely uh, doubtful. But the angel Gabriel doesn't even go into the scientific method of how this is going to happen, but instead this is his response. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Just a side point on this passage when uh, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit will come over you, will overshadow you. Uh, These Greek words, they're not meant to say that they're going to have some type of sexual relationship. But just like in the Old Testament where God was present in the tabernacle, where the cloud of glory was surrounding His people, it just merely means that His presence was over them. Even in the transfiguration uh, where God is amongst uh, Jesus and His disciples, God is said to have overshadowed them and, and is over them. Right? So this is not some type of sexual uh, action that is being taken here. And so Luke does not explain how it happens apart from the fact that the Holy Spirit will be present as he makes this miracle occur. And he says so much in verse 37, 38. For nothing will be possible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And that's it. There's no more evidence. There's no more scientific Uh, pieces of uh, data that will help us understand that it's just simply stated. And Mary says, if that's the case, then I believe. And you have to wonder why Luke, as a doctor, as one who has carefully examined these details, why was he not concerned about the veracity of the virgin birth, whether it was possible or scientifically true? Well, there's two reasons. First, for Luke, And also Mary and the people of the day who believe in the spiritual realm. This was not a big deal. You know, oftentimes when you go to missions and you go to places like South America or Africa or Asia, the challenge that you face with uh, the people who you're trying to share the gospel with is not necessarily uh, proving the existence of a spiritual realm or if God exists. Because they already believe in the spiritual realm. He believes in... uh, Demons and angels and all these things. But the challenge is proving and showing that God, Yahweh, that Jesus Christ, that He is the Most Holy One, that He is powerful over all other demons and all other spiritual realms because they already believe that the spiritual realm exists. And so for us, maybe for us who live in this society and this culture, that is an issue. But the virgin birth is not an issue for those who live in that culture and who believe in the spiritual realm. Nor is it an issue for those who believe in a God who exists out of this natural uh, material universe, who is not bound by the natural laws. In fact, for us as believers, we believe that God created the world and its natural laws. So God exists apart from the laws of physics and all the laws that He Himself has created. He exists outside of those things. And so if there is a God who is able to create Adam and Eve out of uh, dust and he breathes life into these people, if He is able to create uh, from loaves of bread and fish and multiply them out of thin air, if he's able to resurrect Jesus from the dead, these are things that exist outside of the material universe. And if he's able to do those, do those things as well, then it's not out of the realm of possibility that he is also able to create uh, the virgin birth, to allow this to happen. So the bigger question is not uh, do we believe that God is able to do this, but do we believe that God is able to operate outside of the natural laws of this world where we have to see something or touch something or uh, experience it or test it and we have to be able to replicate it in order for it to be true. Do we believe that God exists outside of the natural realm and he's able to do things that we can't sometimes verify or touch, see, smell, or sense. Secondly, for Luke, the goal of this was not to prove that the virgin birth birth actually happened. He's already assumed that you believe that it's going to happen. What he's trying to share in this passage is the significance of it. You know, people in that spiritual realm or in in that uh, society who believe in the spiritual realm, they're trying to figure out and make sense of what the virgin birth means more than trying to, exi- to prove the existence of it. Why did it happen? Why is God trying to show us, what is God trying to show us through this? And this brings us to our second question, which is, what is the significance of the virgin birth? For us believers, as Christians who believe that the virgin birth is true, what does it mean for us? And what is Luke trying to share with us? And why must we not compromise or give up this truth? Because what I will argue is that this truth is just as important as even the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Now, the virgin birth is significant because of this one truth, and we'll tease it out. The virgin birth is important and significant to our faith because it is a moment that God himself became fully man in the person of Jesus Christ that God in His perfect triune unity as God the Father, Jesus Christ the, Holy, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as they were in perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect communion, that the virgin birth signals the moment that God becomes fully man. And we'll explain the significance of this in three parts. Why is this significant? Three reasons why become, God becoming man is significant. The first is this, that because God has become fully man in the virgin birth, He is now personal to us, that He is knowable to us, that we can come to know God in a deeper and more personal and relatable way. You know, in the Old Testament, what we see is that God was known through the tabernacle or through the temple, and this was only, uh allowed through the priests who would be able to go into the high uh, places and uh, they would actually have to wear a rope around their waist in case that they did something unholy uh, in their rituals or made a mistake that God would strike them dead. And so the people outside would grab the rope and pull them out if if God had struck them dead. It was a very terrifying experience to approach God in this manner in the Old Testament. And yet, what we see is that by the birth of Jesus, we see God coming down in human form. And we see the first opportunity for man to be knowable by God, by God in a relatable, in a relational, in a personal way. You know, oftentimes we say, man, if I just saw God, then I would believe 100%. It would be no issues. But what we see here, John 14, 8 through 11. Jesus makes clear that he is in the Father. And so if you want to know the Father personally, you just have to know Jesus. You know, for us, we don't have Jesus walking per, uh, around here as they did uh, during the disciples' time, but we do know that he is alive and present in his very word, right? In John 1.1, 1, 1, we see that he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, uh, the word was with God, and the Word was God. He promises that Jesus here, he is God, and he's with us through his very word, that when we open up his word, we can walk with him, that we can see him in a tangible and personal way. So this is the first blessing, the first significant reason why God came down in the person of Jesus Christ through the virgin birth. He is approachable, he is personal, and not only that, he is now fully sympathetic to us, that he knows exactly what we're going through. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near, let us draw, Then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of needs. He now understands what you go through. You know, oftentimes in our lives, we might think, no one knows what I'm going through. No one can understand the things that I'm feeling, especially during this pandemic. There are so many people who are isolated and feeling lonely and thinking, no one understands the hardship, the depression, the loneliness, the difficulties, and the trials that I am going through. And yet what we see is that Jesus here, as the perfect man, he understands what we're going through. He's able to sympathize with us in every respect, he says. And he's even been, been tempted. He understands the weight of expectations, the burdens that's required of us. He understands tiredness and hunger and fatigue. He understands loneliness. When he was up on that cross, and all his disciples had rejected him and turned away from him, and even God had turned his face from him. He understands what you go through. He understands temptations, because he himself was tempted by Satan in the desert. And so when we suffer, when we struggle, God is not sitting there high and mighty and above, sitting there judging you and thinking, just work harder, don't do that. Why would you fall uh, into temptation like that? Don't be depressed. He's not just judging us in that way, but instead he's able to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses. He understands the struggles that we're going through. He walks besides us, and he cares for us, and he's loving us in our weakness. He's not comparing us to his other children, his other uh, uh, children saying, He is doing it like this. Why can't you do it like this? No, He cares for each and every one of us. And so Hebrews says, let us then draw near to God in confidence that we may receive mercy and grace and help in the time of need. That we could come before Him with confidence, knowing that He cares for us and He watches over us. Because He Himself has experienced all of those things with one minor, actually one major difference, is that he is yet without sin, which is what it says in verse 15. He has been tempted and without sin, which brings us to our third point, that the significance of God coming into uh, becoming fully man is that he is now able to become the perfect representative to die on that cross, to forgive us for our sins. What we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, when the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. He is holy. He is going to be perfectly obedient. He is a sinless Adam and he is a Son of God. Meaning he is perfectly uh, human. He is fully human and he is fully God. And these two go hand in hand and it is essential for him to be our perfect representative. I want to run through these scenarios with you. If God was only uh, fully man, but he was not fully God, he would not be able to die on our behalf. He would simply just be able to die on his behalf, right? If I lived a perfect life, let's say, it's impossible, but let's say I lived a perfect life, There's no way that I can represent and die on behalf of all of mankind because I am not eternal. I cannot exist for multiple people. I can only die for myself. So if I die, I can only be rewarded for myself. You need someone who is fully uh, man and perfect, but also you need someone who is fully God so that when he dies, he is eternal. Right? He is able to die on behalf of multitude of people of for all people because of his because his character is one of which that he is eternal so he has to be fully god and fully man but imagine if he was just fully god and he was not man god would not be able to die on our behalf because he would not represent mankind what we see here in Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, is that the Apostle Paul explains that just as Adam first sinned and he was our representative, we need another representative, someone who is man, someone who is perfect, who can now die on our behalf and cover over our sins. Right? And so we see that in verse 18. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, talking about Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. It is impossible for God Himself to be a representative for us without becoming fully man. And so the virgin birth allows this to happen in the most miraculous and most mysterious way where He continues to keep His 100% deity. He is fully God. And yet, Through the birth, he is fully human. That he is able to now die on our behalf as our representative and and cover over the multitude of sins for all people. And what makes this virgin birth so astounding is that God didn't have to do this, right? God in his holy trinity was in perfect fellowship, perfect love, perfect uh, joy, perfect unity, there was nothing that made him dissatisfied. And yet, for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, down so that he could be the perfect representative on our behalf, so that he could suffer on our behalf. And yet, on top of that, Jesus Christ didn't come just as a ruling king. He didn't come just to uh, live in lap of luxury and success and wealth and health, which he could have done, which he more than deserved. But instead, what do we see? He comes as a baby, a helpless infant that has to be taken care of by fallible men. He's then raised as a servant. He is then beaten and mistreated by men and crucified on the cross, as a sinner, as a robber, as a crook. And he does this for us. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is something that we cannot take for granted that the virgin birth shows that Jesus Christ, God himself, was willing to lower himself, to humble himself, to even serve and to die on the cross on our behalf, that we might be saved. Then, what is our response? This is the third question. What should our response be? If the virgin birth is true and it is significant for us, how should we now live? You know, I think about that. I think about, you know, if I was a woman during today's day and the Holy Spirit came and the angel came and told me that that would be the case for my life, how would I respond? I mean, I think it would be one of skepticism and doubt. Not like Mary where I say, okay, you know, if this is what you say, I will obey. But I think it would go more along the lines of, God, I just can't have this happen to me right now. You know, I'm about to get married to Joseph. You know, if they find out that I'm pregnant right now, you know, they're not going to believe that it's a virgin birth. People are going to judge me. You know, this is just not the right timing for me. I need to have children of my own. You know, we're so uh, uh, concerned about our own personal life and what's going to happen to ourselves that if God came in and rocked our world with this news i wonder how i would have taken it you know mary didn't know what god was up to god didn't give mary the entire plan of what was going to happen but mary instead simply believed mary rejoiced mary was humbled that god would use her and god worshiped and i pray that that would be the attitude as we come before god as we think upon the virgin birth. And I want to close just by us reading Mary's song as God explains that Jesus will be born through the virgin birth through Mary's womb. Mary rejoices, and I pray that this would be how we would respond when God works in us. Verse 46 through 55. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of his hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to his fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the amazing miracle and the work that is the the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, through Mary and this virgin birth. Lord, we recognize here today that not only is it true that it is so precious to us to know that this was the plan that you brought forth so that you could draw near to us so that we have the ability to draw near to you. So that you would demonstrate your love for us by humbling yourself on that cross. Lord, I pray that this would be an opportunity for us to humble ourselves, To say, God, where you lead, we will follow. What you command, we will obey. And we will worship you for the work that you've done for us through the virgin birth. We are humbled, we're excited, we rejoice in your work. We thank you, and we pray all in Jesus' name.